This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. Just getting out for an evening walk. It's a clear sky. Almost can't see the stars, though. I guess because of the the lights are on and it's difficult. Right. So, topic. I'm working on a article and it has to do with uh, the never-ending story which is German and the title is like the original book uh, that the movie is based on and this is uh, this is a kid's book uh, I didn't experience it as a kid but uh, years later, I got curious. I think I think part of it as well was just the ov- overwhelming amount of uh, literature that exists, um, fantasy literature for kids. And I want to say, uh, I want to say less so for adults, or say that there's there's a certain quality that I keep coming back to that is of interest. Um, there are uh, fantasy just sort of you know, something like Conan the Barbarian or something like uh, Game of Thrones which is less preoccupied with wonder. Um, wonder does exist. It, it is there. But um, it, it's not it's not a kid's story. Uh, any anyhow, so uh, I found myself, you know, deeply entrenched in sort of looking for uh, kids' fantasy that I it, it just seemed to naturally happen. Like I, I would, like for example, I would go to the Narnia books and I would um, revisit and then one of the one of the books I went to was so in German it's Die und Endlich and then there's a, a word that starts with G and you can kind of see it in uh Unendlich. It looks like unending. So die would be the. And then the last one, the G word, is story. Anything else about it? So I believe it it, it must have been written in the 70s and came out in the 80s. I, I, I believe... And two, possibly earlier with, uh, say, English translation. But it's somewhere around that time. So the author, Michael End, uh, E-N-D-E. And in my sort of thinking, I'm looking at uh, that German word for never-ending, which is uh, unendlich, and going... You know that that the author's last name is kind of tuck, tucked in there. 
Uh, in the article that I'm thinking about, uh, that has come about because I started listening to an audiobook of the never-ending story. I, I had picked up the book, and I thought that I had read it, but I couldn't remember anything, and so now, uh, maybe a year later, I'm listening to it again. And li- and this time this time an audiobook and the <laughs> uh, it's something that happened right away yeah here's the main point is is that all of a sudden I, I, I had this feeling that there was more going on than a story. Uh, there were these moments where I was like, wait a minute, this feels like well, we're talking about psychological states, um, that we're talking about ultimately it, it felt as though there was a kind of active empowerment going on. The um, the framing character, there's, there's a narrative frame that surrounds the story. And in, in a sense, there's two books, or two parts. The first part involves a travel a quest and then the narrative frame character uh, gets actually enters the fantasy world in in a sense it's a portal fantasy but we we don't have the portal until the halfway mark uh, the movie if if you know of it, or uh, if you've seen it, is the first half of of the uh, of the book, and so there's this whole other second half. And as I was read, I can't even remember reading it, but I f- and I fear too that maybe I didn't. Maybe I put it down, uh, which seems odd. But at the moment, I find myself uh, at the halfway mark. I haven't finished the book yet. And, and yet I find myself talking about it uh, I, and, and writing about it. I think mostly because of my own experience with writing and looking into... Um, the psychology of it, the symbolism, you know, the the, the meaning of it. There's al- something almost allegorical, almost. Uh, it it is a story. We have highs and lows. But even on that note, it has me thinking. Perhaps the highs and lows are psychological states. Uh, the big one 
the, this sort of like where I was actually kind of sitting up as I was listening to this was there's this scene uh, in the movie uh, the the heroic character the hero the archetype there you go has a horse uh, this, the hero is named Atreyu and so this is Atreyu's horse actually has a name in the book the horse actually uh, can talk that there's this communication happening at least maybe say telepathic but in the movie uh, doesn't exist there's other differences such as uh, Atreyu the hero in the movie doesn't have green skin and actually yeah that was the difference it's probably the first difference uh, and, and kind of big you know what what does that mean uh, this attempt to normalize uh, versus distance as, as I'm thinking about it now and unpacking you know Michael End is attempting to create this distance even if this is just subconscious he is uh, saying you know no this is not a human hero, you know, this is, you know, a fantastical uh, being. So there's a sense of otherness, uh, there's a sense of the, the, the way the character of the hero, Atreyu, is introduced has this element of uh, the noble savage that say somebody is living off of the land, uh, almost like a, a plains uh, kind of experience of buffalo hunting. In, in, the, in the book, uh, Atreyu hunts and his people hunt uh, purple buffalo. I'm trying to remember if it was bison or buffalo, but anyways, you get the idea. So there's this further distancing by you know it, not making it exactly like if it was uh, First Nations uh, Native Americans say that you know and, and positioning it that describing them exactly that way which which the movie actually gets closer to though I think that they missed the mark, and I, I guess intentionally so. Perhaps the last something else that has cropped up just recently was I uh, posted on the local uh, sci-fi convention their Facebook page. I posted. A, a photo at a convention years later of the uh, the hero Atreyu, the actor, the young actor, who's now grown up. So there was this picture with him and the actress who played the character known as the childlike empress. I found I found a lot of. Uh, I want to say, is it comparisons or similarities 
just it, there was this resonance. It was resonating uh, that as as I was reading, you know, I was getting a sense of the person uh, who was writing it. Oh, last thing about the photograph and the Treyu is that the actor who played Atreyu uh, played Boxy, a, a character even younger uh, from the original Battlestar Galactica series, which I had watched. I didn't know it was the same young actor. So I was seeing, you know, I saw him before the NeverEnding Story movie. And uh, a, a, a different kind of character. I mentioned the childlike empress. So we have the narrative frame through this character called uh, Bastion. I think the last name is Bucks. And Bastion goes into this bookstore, sees this book called The Neverending Story, and steals it. And then uh, he's, he hides in a school attic and he starts to read the book. And slowly we get this, uh, the sense of communication that's happening between the narrative character and the, or I should say the narrative frame character. And the, the story that he's reading, that there's this participation. Uh, he feels things. He, like, say, when things are not going well in the story, he feels, or it, when things are going well. So it, it's as though the emotional states are connected, in, in the book, are connected to the character. I like that it's a book within a book. And as I'm saying that, I'm going, you know, we should, we should use that. We should rip that off. And we should, no, let's borrow it. Let's borrow it. And, you know, inspired by. Uh, why? I like the, the layering effect. Also, too, will we have a third layer? And, you know, say... Uh, a third book within within these ultimately bastion crosses the threshold between these two worlds of reality and fantasy um, in this in the rough draft of the article i'm writing writing i referred to it as uh the magic world and was it the world of magic and the world of realism? To su suggest that it's a work of magic realism, of course, exploded. I, I wonder how many, say, porthole fantasies have. I, I think technically it's not magic realism, but it's that in the real world there is this one thing that is magical, which is this book. And the experience of this book and reading this book. And it definitely feels like it's a celebration of fantasy literature. 
uh, an exploration, uh, looking at it, uh, the, you know, the function of it. If I could rope in Tolkien's essay on, on um, what was it, the title, on fairy tales, and, and just this notion of recovery that we that we go to books and stories, um, even in say film, music, that we go there that there's something that is important to be possibly rediscovered um, and as Tolkien said a return that there's this return that we we used to be there in, in, this, in that very important state of uh, mind and that we return um, through through fantasy or the imagination say So, uh, let's see, in the exact middle, in the midpoint of uh, the, the book that I'm listening to, there's this character uh, who has been set up quite a bit, a lot of references, and then finally we reach the childlike empress who lives in the ivory tower. And I I puzzled over that a little bit because an ivory tower is, say, if someone's in an ivory tower, that they are in this state of loftiness, of uh, loftiness, snootiness, um, you know, removed from the world in a sense, usually in a negative way. But in this instance, there's this importance to this character who is removed, right? That they, they, you know, stand outside. The world itself is called Fantasia. And the, um, the experience of meeting, uh, and, and to say descriptions of Fantasia as having no border, right? That there's no end to uh, th- this fantasy world. It just goes on and on and on. But it does have this center. I think I described it as that it's a wheel kind of shape and that the childlike empress is at the hub and then it radiates out in just never-ending. Right, so... There's this boundlessness, there's this, uh, it's a bit amorphic, you know, I, I think they might have even said that there's, that there's no map, that it's impossible to map. But people say would talk about it, and you would eventually find your way to whatever place it is. There is a sense of distance, though, that, that happens in, in Fantasia, you know, that things are, say, far away. I'm sure that the, um, the hub the ivory tower is this sort of oh there it is axis mundi uh axis mundi axis could be center and then mundi is uh earth that it's uh yeah it's the center it's the middle of the earth that everything 
sort of revolves around this uh, point. The Greeks called it the omphalos, or at least one example of it. I think it was Delphi. And there's this notion of creation, right? That it's the original place and everything happened there. So it's, you know, say, super powerful uh, as far as uh, one, say, ethnicity or identity. You know, you're looking for that original place. A comparison would be, say, the Garden of Eden. You know, a similar a similar sense. So, so we reach the childlike empress, and it's it's the end. It's the end of the world, and our uh, our narrative protagonist uh, barely. Uh, barely keeps the thing going. And it continues. And too, I feel I have this memory of reading the book because there was this forest. So I can remember that. I was like, going, that seems very familiar. Uh, there was this uh, also very big lion that changes colors in this desert. Uh, at, after the halfway mark, there's this shift that happens. And Bastion becomes the creator of, uh, or I guess it would be, is it recreate? That it's up to him. It's, you know, this fantasy world. He gets to make it. He gets to decide uh, what is what and where is where. And that's where I'm at in the story. Uh, and my interest. Because I've been writing about this uh, recently. Uh, my own preoccupation is to, say, to change the inner uh, experience and to design the thing. And at this point, I'm looking at it and say, is this what Michael End is doing? Is, is the author suggesting that through the imagination there is transformation, or the potential of it, that, you know, say, within... And there are statements of, of say, you know, this the outside world versus the inside world, which... I found myself uh, writing about not not too long ago, and really I'm still writing about it. So our our, our narrative frame character is in the second half, and the, I've I, I went and checked out the plot, and. The second half has to do with uh, Bastion's creation, like, and you know what what Bastion is going to do, and uh, making the world. In a sense, it's making it in his image, like, say that he 
he's the template. Uh, there's this sense, and then, you know, don't read into that statement <laughs> about uh, the image, but I, I mean more so in the mind, is that he projects. And where I'm at is that he's projecting this uh, ego, and he, he transforms his self-image. He's no longer a uh, pudgy, fat, uh, unattractive boy, uh, short, uh, but instead he's this prince and he begins to adjust his self-image and making himself. Also, too, the, the initial transformation has to do with how he is seen by the childlike empress. He sees her and he's just agog, right? You know, she's, uh, she's wonderful. And he feels just so terrible because he doesn't look good. But then he finds out that uh, she sees him in the same way that he... Yeah. She sees him in the same way that he sees her. And I, I like that notion. Like, say, that... I don't know about you, but I've had experiences where when I'm... When I'm looking at people in the best way, there is this opportunity. Like, say, pushing aside everything and uh, seeing their humanity, right? The, you know, seeing the best. Uh, and yet, I have the flip side, right? I'll, I'll be um, frightened of people or angry at people or saddened. And, and and for myself, it's a, sort of a question of why is it so mercurial? Why is it so, you know, what not stuck? You know, because I'd like to, I'd like to look at these people uh, and to have more, um, just in, instead of the, the endless state of, you know, devaluing, you know, ugh, 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 yeah, you know, and with occasional days of, you know, not uh, labeling people. Or just, I guess, really, it's about being aware, you know, and taking a step back and just watching the thoughts. And to the bizarreness of it. Just like, where does that come from? Right, so... Where I'm at now in this impression of the story is that the childlike empress is the self, capital S, this holistic experience. Um, the self would be the archetype, and then the childlike empress is the summation. Uh, it's this holistic summation. It's this uh, having the qualities of everyone. Uh, that said, there's this old man who lives on this impossibly high mountain uh, who is writing uh, this book. Uh, that is the that is the never-ending story 
uh, that is stolen by Bastian Bach. <clears throat> and he is he is the contrast to the childlike empress. I must want to say he is the uh, the shadow, right? The and that that's another archetype, contrasting archetype. So, uh, in that, I also thought of um, that Michael End was putting himself into the story because he's he 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 would have been quote unquote old by that time, or at least getting older. And uh, so it's an old man who's writing, he's writing, he's working on the never-ending story. The other part of it is that he's shut away in this uh, blue egg on top of this mountain, which sounds suspiciously like you know, the writer's experience, the writer's room, as he's locked away. Beautiful description of lowering this ladder. So he lowers this ladder uh, made of letters. And I, and to say, I think if you're a kid reading it, of course, you're just going to go, it's an old man. Or say, my experience, I'm going, it's me. Or at least, you know, here's an older writer. I, I like the notion that they're opposites. And uh, at least that's, that's what they're said. And let's see. Uh, there's a symbol that is sort of like the uh, Ouroboros. The Ouroboros is a, an old symbol of a usually a serpent biting its tail. A sort of symbolic segue. <clears throat> the historical figure that uh, Dracula was based on. It belonged to... Uh, the, the the name Dracula, Dracula comes from Dracul, which is uh, from the Order of the Dragon that uh, Vlad the Impaler belonged to. And the symbol for that order was a character like the Ouroboros. And uh, this character, this symbol was like a, a reptile, more kind of like a lizard, right, that was biting its own tail. Anyways, back to our story. So this uh, symbol, and, and it's, it's sort of like a yin-yang version of Ouroboros. So it has a, uh, a black serpent and a white serpent that are intertwined and biting each other's tails. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to remember if if they're biting their own tail, or if they're biting the other snake's tail. So something else to look at. 
And there's this sort of positive-negative thing going on between the childlike empress, the self, versus the opposite of the self. So if the self is the totality, like everything is, you know, put together, the puzzle, all the jigsaw pieces are fitted together, that's the self with a capital S. And so the, the character of the old man is the opposite. Um, there's this sort of positive attribute to the self, capital S, and then so a negative uh, that we see that we see in this um, person who's writing the book. A wonderful description too that what he writes is what's happening. So there's this uncertainty of, say, uh, is he writing the events? Uh, he's also writing himself. And, and for me, there's this sort of question of uh, control. Like, say, um, because too often I find that I'm getting in the way. I'm controlling what's happening, or attempting to. It's like, no, I want to go this way. And, and then there's just something else going on that wants to continue. And so there's this uh, pushing and pulling going on. Regarding narrative, what direction to go in. Okay. Uh, that, that symbol of, of the two snakes, it is given to the hero character, Atreyu, early on. And what it does is it empowers. That it gives him... I think it's that uh, the ability to command. So anybody in Fantasia, that he can command them. And it, it works and it doesn't work. I'm just sort of thinking of events where, uh, say, it, it can work and, it, you know, and then it doesn't. There are scenes... <laughs> and two, now I want to go back and watch the movie because there's, there's stuff in the book that was just so rich. And of course, you can't do everything. It's an adaptation, you know, maximum two hour long, uh, really a maximum of an hour and a half. And, you know, it's a kid's movie. But here's a world-famous kid's book. I'm just like going, yeah, why couldn't it have been a three-hour movie? There is another, um, there's a part, there's a, yeah, Never Ending Story 2, but my understanding is that it, it, it's not based on the second half of the book, which is fascinating. Uh, all of a sudden, the main character is in the story, and is creating the story, basically. That's how I'm reading it. There's this empowerment. Uh, there's the empowerment, freedom. I think in it there's a lot of uh, life lessons. And say, you know, just think of it. If you had absolute power over everything, 
and seriously, everything. It was like a dream-like state. And you could make anything happen. You could destroy anything. There's a sense, too, of creation and destruction. Like, say, that when you create something, that destroys something else. Which is reminding me of something theatrical. Uh, there would there would be things say um, you you create something and then you decide okay I'm going to change it the the other part of it is the age so it's a middle grade experience and. Even though I want to say, oh, it's only children. No, adults are, you know, completely driven by, you know, ego and, um, you know, massive problems. Uh, You know, we we want to look good, right? So we do various things. Uh, We want to have status symbols. Got to have the latest thing. And I'm just thinking it's odd and unusual. And right, okay. Where were we? <laughs> My segue right now is is I'm I'm on this the street of shadows. So, you know, these orange lamp street lamps and yeah. Evening, you know, it's it's not absolute dark yet, and the uh, mausoleum-like houses are, you know, not not completely blacked out yet. And, and too, it almost feels like the stars are just coming out. Okay. So, in total, this is moving towards now wrapping things up. In total, part of part of me wonders how this book got published because it's six hundred pages. It's it's a big read for a middle grader. All of the rules and regulations. Uh, about word count, you know, whatever website you go to, uh, and and then say you whip out something like you know Lord of the Rings, you know, and that well that's, you know, that's something different. I I love the nerve of it, and I wonder say, if uh, preceding it that, say, Michael End had published some other stuff, and then he came forward with this. Maybe there was a conversation, like he explained what it was he was doing. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take this kid who is totally devalued, 
unhappy and I'm going to I'm going to give him the world I'm going to give him uh, you know he's you know autonomous and he's he's going to figure it out where I'm where I'm thinking that this ends up is that it's going to be this return Bastion Box will leave the book and uh, but but that he he will have been transformed. He will have had this experience. Because I'm reading so much Jungian symbolism, I want to say uh, individuation. So that's something that I'm looking at in this story. You know, is that is that where is that the end goal of this? What is individuation? Pretty much uh, like it, the like say how I'm describing the the self with a capital S, uh, that, that it's the collective, right? It's the gathering together of all of these bits and pieces. And it's, it's the goal of uh, Jungian psychology or would you say psychotherapy? You know that uh, is. It, I think it's called the talking cure. But at least for young, this is the the end goal: is to have this uh, experience, uh, this encounter with um, the self, with the capital S. So, in that sense. I'm looking at it as this is kind of a, you know, giving uh, a child, you know, a middle grader, this text, and they'll go through it and have these experiences. Let's say I'm looking at that as the intention behind the work. Is this the? Is this the intention? Uh, just as the movie. Uh, the adaptation back in the 80s uh, cut it off at the midpoint you know we sort of we achieve our goal right we get to we get to the center I think another thing going on is that it's a symbolic center the um, ivory tower and then it's a literal center right it exists at the middle of the book uh, and so I I appreciate that touch say that it's it's kind of like a textual geography where in the text is it located uh, can you parse the book further like that right is there a geography where you go the first quarter is there something at the in you know in the first quarter or say the you know this this what would it be? Third quarter? Anyways, at the divisions, is that kind of like a, say, a technical... Is it is that technically where um, the borders and boundaries are? We're told that uh, Fantasia does not have borders. I'd sort of like to suggest that what it is to say that Fantasia is the imagination... 
that each of us is carrying around and that we are the border, uh, that it is within us and then there's this border that is us and then uh, on the outside, uh, you know, there's this realism, uh, the world of realism on the outside. So this is me with my own interest and preoccupation um, interpreting. Uh, I wonder about other choices that the author has made. You know, say, do, you know, if the childlike empress is the self, you know, then do we have other characters that are as uh, potent uh, archetypes or based on archetypes that they say serve this role. One geography, part of geography, was, uh, I think it's the Swamp of Sorrow where Atreus' horse dies. And it, it dies through this uh, depression. Uh, Atreus is wearing the double... Ouroboros um, amulet. And uh, he's fine. He's protected, but the horse is not. And so the horse sinks into the swamp. Which is... has me thinking, oh, is... is the geography uh the psyche, you know, are we in, and I'm, I'm getting a resounding yes, that in the story, uh, like say that when we're in the book, we're in the psyche. So I'm just making a cup of tea. Some other examples of psychological geography. And as, as I'm taking it apart, I'm thinking of, um, say, the different scenes that have to do with... Um, that there's this emotional value at work. And one, say, from the, the movie has these uh, sphinxes that's gu guarding these gates... And um, a, a scene that I don't think is in the movie has this uh, character who's made out of insects. And uh, there's this big spider's web and um, getting uh, poisoned. Uh, it, which is sort of reminiscent of um, the, uh, the Little Prince. More spoilers <laughs> if you haven't watched that. Uh, and let's see it, it, it could be just even say that there's this intention at work that the author um, the author is say conscious and planning things but also allowing creativity because there's quite a lot of creativity and there's these wonderful um, characters and and races uh, that exist in, in Fantasia.
so one of the contrasts to this geography is um, what's called the nothing and it's uh, eating up it's almost like say the um, um, it's encroachment uh, it's almost like uh, civilization reality is you know it's this um, gentrification right so that you know the fantastical is being uh, consumed and eaten up by this nothingness and and not in a positive sense um, because you know nothingness can be a good thing say like in meditation but that's not this this is um, this is a terrible thing and um, it's you know swallowing people up one of the things that happens to uh, citizens of Fantasia um, if they go into the nothing, uh, they become lies. And there's this contrast between, say, Fantasia. In Fantasia, there are wishes, which there is, a, there is a psychological component there that they are... Uh, and to uh, that say, I feel like I'm making this division between, say, Fantasia and the outer world, and that... Um, with with calling uh, this existence on the outside, calling it um, these citizens, uh, that they are lies versus uh, these wishes. Like, say, if it's a contrast, then the wishes are sort of, they're truths. And I'm, I'm sitting with that going, well, that's not, that's not quite right. I mean, because there is a truth on the outside. But in a psychological sense, uh, I know, and, and in my own experience, or even say um, politically, right, that the truth does get skewed, that, you know, you can uh, take statistics, you can take facts, you can, you, can um, you know, mangle them and uh, tell somebody a half-truth, right, say that you, wa you want to get something, right, or just outright lie, um, you know, or um, discredit or suggest something, um, but also too something that's not true, and and we all we all have these biases, we all have these leanings that are not uh, exactly true. Say it's not true, Moss. I'm sorry to say. Um, you know, I, I pine for the day when I can uh, go outside um, or just say those those moments where you know I don't have blinders on you know or colored glasses you know um, I was thinking of it it's like well, you know I guess I guess I have moss colored glasses but where the moss is this idea of um, what I am and who I am, and but also say what that means uh, for the rest of the world. This uh, this bias that is going on. So uh, lies that uh, comfort us, lies that uh, define us, um, and you know, and and that we build 
uh, upon lies we put up, you know, borders and boundaries and, you know, we say, you are that type of person. I am this type of person. Okay, so the geography of Fantasia is being gobbled up by this nothingness. And uh, in a sense, Bastion Bucks, our um, narrative character, point of view character, is on the outside. He's, uh, he exists on the outside in, um, in the nothingness and or say on the other side of the nothingness there's a tr- there's it's troublesome as i'm taking it apart even before i started listening to the audiobook i was thinking about the nothingness in the sense of one's own personal emptiness um or das ding uh which is that's german and uh i'm i'm sh- i have this feeling even if the um, even if Michael End wasn't uh, aware of the term dusting in psychology, um, there is something relevant going on, right? This nothingness or emptiness, um, terrible thing that destroys, you know, your wishes, your hopes, your dreams on the inside, um, your sense of wonder, and instead it's this, you know, the stark reality of the wasteland on the outside uh, an end to imagination and you know, I, I've been there I'm sure you have been there we've all been there um, and, and I'm, say I'm, I'm looking at it in sort of the geor- geographical sense of you know here's an inner geography versus this outer geography. Um, the outer geography has uh, borders and boundaries where the inner geography does not. Um, we can impose, but on the whole, it's, it's just, say, endless potential. Um... Right, so let's have some tea. <clears throat> Can I recommend it? <laughs> I I think it's I think it's you I can recommend it um I can re- recommend it in these two senses cuz I read the book promptly forgot about it apparently and now I'm returning to it and have having this um, having this uh, interpretation going on that I like uh, because it it feels helpful to me and say I'm seeing somebody doing something similar and um, and and also it's getting me thinking about intention it's like the the why of it. Why am I doing this? Why is uh, Michael End? Uh, why did he write this and edit it and you know pursue its publication? <clears throat> um, there's a personal quality to it, and 
I remember reading his response to the adaptation and that that they didn't he is talking about the production and saying they didn't understand right they didn't they didn't know what it was about um and and so sort of looking at it and going that they knew that they knew the the narrative in the sense of they knew um oh we need to make a screenplay um you know we need to find you know the heart of the story right and uh you know we're going to make changes and we're going to um, we're going to put in music and things that are, you know, it, it, it's contemporary in, in the sense of, say, the expectations of audience, um, what, what's going on in, you know, kids' literature, kids' films, and things like that. I think it's in the third movie. They actually have a kind of new, um, a new wave, or at least, like, you know, say late 80s, um, there's elements of music, like a little, I think it might have been rap music, or just say the the notion of the first compared to the third, you know, they were trying to sort of go cool, and, you know, our audience is growing up, they're, you know, older middle grade now, and um, it was it was a bit painful, and... And to say, as an adult now, I'm just trying to think of, um, I would have been a teenager at that time. And yet, though, I, even then, I was thinking, this is for an, a younger audience. I don't even know if I saw the movie. Um, I, knew, I knew it was happening, but it wasn't my, um, I, was, I was more kind of Star Wars, um, you know, bang, bang, spaceships, swords. It would be interesting to see either a a streaming version of it, like say you know Netflix or um, Amazon or something, and to see to see it in its entirety and not say just one half of it um, because because like at the moment now i 'm projecting and i'm i 'm looking ahead and going, you know, well, what, what is the climax of this? What is the crisis and what is the climax? To, my, to myself, say, if I'm structuring it, like based on what has happened now, looking ahead in, into, the, into the dark room, <laughs> that uh, what is going to develop is uh, that, that Bastion, the, the reader who is now the protagonist, in 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 total that that they are going to have this this crisis of responsibility right because um you know he's just starting you know he's just learning about his the power of his imagination and what he can do within himself and but you know that is uh, there's a dilemma there should you have everything that you desire at the moment it's fairly innocent you know he wants to be strong and healthy and so on and so forth <clears throat> um, 
it it really is the creation of a of a fantasy um, that say you know he sees himself as a handsome a handsome prince, right? It's wish fulfillment, <clears throat> uh, and 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 yet there's this argument because say self image body image, uh, how we see ourselves that shapes and shapes us and shapes how say others perceive us how how we act um and, and there's this you know infinite potential uh as, as long as we have uh confidence but again what if your confidence is you know if you're overconfident uh, what if you're not considering others what if you're totally um focusing on yourself you know your own pleasure your own pursuits, and you're not thinking of others, and um, yeah. So I'm seeing that it as as that that it's a um, a moment. The crisis is is going to require maturity, wisdom, and that uh, in the climax, that he will. I, I I guess it's that say he he will leave out of responsibility, and that say maybe it's that he puts things back the way they were. And um, that he that he th- um, thought that uh, like that at the moment he he's not thinking about you know <laughs> he's not thinking about making anybody at the moment it's I think there's only one character um, it's really he's created this you know dangerous um, monster that he's hanging out with right now. This uh, huge lion that, uh, if if Bastion didn't have this protective uh, device, the the two Ouroboros uh, biting their tails, these snakes, if he didn't have that, he would have been um, incinerated by this lion because the lion is so powerful. And too too geographical. Um, the first geographical. Kind of Genesis. Uh, first, we have a um, there's these plants that are growing uh, in in the darkness and this nothingness, and it's um, they grow into trees, into a forest, and uh, Bastion ultimately decides into it's a night forest um, with this great name. Um, it was like. Uh, is like Paralon or something like that. And so he goes from that to decides that he wants to be in a desert, that a desert is going to be better than this forest. So it's, a, it's, a, it's about not sort of say, not wanting where you are, right? Not viewing where you are as okay, right? It's like uh, pining for something else, right? Oh, this isn't good enough, right? The, you know, the, the endless torment of that, um, rather than addressing that hunger within, you know, this, the craving for something else. Um, oh, I'm bored, right? Why? <laughs> uh, okay, so so he goes from this forest. So this is post middle of the book, and he goes and he goes to this desert of um, each dune is a different color. Uh, different geographies, different states, and in the forest, 
um, he was he was fed. There was food, but then he got bored, so he he imagined this desert. Uh, and also to this almost sort of say he has this power, but he's not. Um, it's 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 he's lost in it, right? That say he creates the thing, and then he forgets that he has this power, and then he say he creates the forest. Then he creates the desert, and he forgets that he has this power, and he's it feels like he's getting lost in it, and um, so yeah. So I'm I'm interested to see where this all goes. And on that note, thank you for listening. And take care.